walking with Jesus, serving with love, and sharing with courage. Welcome to the PCOM Podcast. Hello, my friends. It's Pastor Courtney back here with the final July installment of the PCOM podcast. I thought today we would do something a little bit different and have story time. So this is going to be story time, summer story time with Pastor Courtney. Um, And I want to tell you the story of how God called Daryl and I to PCOM. It's a story that started about 10 years ago. I think stories of how pastors end up at their churches, especially when it turns out to be a really good fit and there's some longevity there. Um, I love hearing these stories and I love telling this story. So the story began about 10 years ago. I'd been serving a church in a small town in Wisconsin, Clinton, Wisconsin, for about three years at that point. And it was a dear church. It is a dear church. I'm still in touch um, with some of the congregants. And, you know, pastors, when they leave a church, have to be really clear about boundaries. And so um, I waited a couple of years, and the congregants uh, waited a couple of years. And then after that time had passed, we were able to get back in touch a little bit. Um, and that's been that's been lovely. You know, a Christmas card here or there, an email here or there. Um But there was not a big, this church is a bad fit for me reason. I started looking. I loved the people, um, and I'm a deeply loyal person, so it felt so disloyal to even consider the possibility of leaving. But we really began feeling a strong nudge from God for a couple of reasons. One, I was a solo pastor at this church. I started there when I was 28 years old, and I did everything, which is such a gift to a new pastor to not specialize, but to be this jack of all trades where you preach and teach and do pastoral care and you sit on the finance team and the building and grounds team and you sit on the mission team and you're on every committee in the church. Um, And it was such a wonderful training ground. But after being there for three years, I started to realize how very much I didn't know and started to have this really deep desire to be mentored by an older pastor and to be mentored in a way that wasn't just a meeting once a month or once every six weeks. I was paired with a wonderful pastor in my Wisconsin Presbytery. I was in the Presbytery of Milwaukee, and I was paired with Jamie Swanson, who was a pastor with, I think, then 30 years of experience, a wonderful, kind, thoughtful man of God. And we would go for a walk once a month, and he would fill me in on, on any questions I had, and he would offer wisdom with such gentleness and grace. Um, and I thought, gosh, I, I would love something like that, but on a daily basis where I could watch someone with 10 or 20 years more experience than I have on a daily basis and see how they handle crisis and watch how they handle conflict um, and learn from from them. And so that started to be a desire in my heart, and I kept offering it to the Lord. You know, I don't think you want us to leave, but here's something that keeps coming up for me. I think I'm learning all I can from books, and I learned all I could in seminary, but I really just feel this, this ceiling that I keep pressing up against. Um, and I want to learn from from someone with more experience on a daily basis. Secondly, Daryl was midway through a PhD, 
and we were living in rural Wisconsin, and there's not a big market for systematic theologians in rural Wisconsin, nor was there another church close enough that Daryl would be able to pastor um, another church while I was pastoring the church in Clinton. One of the things Daryl and I have always felt pretty strongly about is when and if we had a family, and at that point, we had a a six-month-old baby named Lincoln. When and if we had a family, we wanted to all be able to worship at the same church. And we know a lot of clergy couples where one is, you know, an hour away in one town and one is in another town and the kids go back and forth or they just worship with dad because mom is preaching elsewhere. And we really, as far as it depended upon us, we really wanted to stay together. And the third thing was I was really beginning to feel a pull towards serving part-time And I have always been very driven. I worked three jobs to help put us through seminary. I worked in college. I worked in high school. Um, I'm, I'm a very driven person, but having a baby changed that for me. And it wasn't that I wasn't driven. It's that my attentions were divided. And when I was at church, I was thinking about how much time I was missing with Lincoln and the milestones I was missing and the d- development I was missing. And I still felt very deeply called to minister. I felt very called to parent. And I was hopeful that I could pair those two things together better than I had been. Because the other thing that happens as a solo pastor in a small town is you are it. I had a an administrative assistant for 10 hours a week. I had a custodian for five hours a week, and everything else was on me. And we had wonderful deacons, wonderful elders, but most of them worked full-time. So any hospital call, any pastoral emergency, every meeting, every night, I was was at the church. It felt like more than I was at home. I once tallied up my hours and realized, and this is at least partially on me, that I was over-functioning to the point where I was working 80 or 90 hours a week. And I was doing a great job, but was I really? (laughs) Because what happens when a pastor overfunctions is that the congregation will often underfunction and they won't volunteer and they won't help out because it seems like it's all handled. A church at its healthiest is the people and the pastor ministering together, the pastor working alongside the people of God. And of course, there are things that that only the pastor can do, the preaching and administering of the sacraments and things like that. But most things can be done in partnership and most things can be, lay people can be trained to do. Uh, But I had a little bit of a superhero complex, a little bit of a savior complex. I came in there designed to, to save the world and burn myself out at a blaze of glory. And once you've started that pattern and set it for several years, it's very hard to pull back from that unless you make a change or a move to a new place. So that was on my heart as well. I was just saying to God, I, I miss Lincoln and I would love to have more time with Lincoln. Um, and I don't know if that's possible, um, if we can financially figure out something where I would be part-time, but that is on my heart. Daryl was at the point in his PhD program where he was ready for something part-time as well, um, and he was interested in pursuing ministry. So I remember the day I put in an application, and I saw this church in Mission Viejo, California, And the way the Presbyterian matching system works is it's kind of like dating. You send in an application and the church puts up a profile. And if they match, then you'll get an email or a phone call asking you to go one step further in the process. It is a slow and a little bit of a cumbersome process. Um, And so I put in an application 
and I received a call from Steve Yamaguchi. I don't know how many of you remember Steve. He was the executive presbytery in Los Ranchos. And I said, you know, I, I applied and I'm really interested in this church and it seems like it'd be a good fit for my gifts and my calling. And he said, you know, it's it's very early in the process. This can be a lengthy process. Um, and sometimes it's not good to be right on the front edge of it because it's good for, you know, committees to weed out some some less qualified candidates. And I think you're you're quite qualified, but, you know, go slow and pace yourself and um, and that was the call. And then I didn't hear anything more for months, which is common. It wasn't that the, the it's called an APNC, Associate Pastor Nominating Committee. It's not that they were moving slowly. It's that the process just takes the time that it takes. And I found out later they had a couple hundred applications to wade through. I was not the only one applying. And the other thing that I think was a hurdle early on was Daryl and I were interested in applying as a clergy couple we were hoping that a church would hire both of us. And we knew that that would likely be a financial hurdle too steep for most churches. But the good news was he was hoping to be part-time and I was hoping to be part-time. And so we would apply as a single position, two people, each working 20, 25 hours a week. And the church would get the benefit of two brains, two personalities, two people who could be in two places at one time if need be. Uh, but the challenge would be they would get two people. Um, and as we got a little farther in the process, uh, Pastor Jackson had the wonderful notable quote, well, we know we like you, but what if he sucks? <laughs> Which still makes me laugh every time I remember it. So we didn't hear anything. Um, and in the meantime, we started feeling the pull even more strongly that it was time to move on. And we kept giving that to the Lord in prayer and kept feeling it and hearing it and sensing that it was reaffirmed. And so we also applied to other churches and we were offered an interview at a church in Chicago. I love Chicago. We fell in love in Chicago. We, you know, I grew up going to Chicago. I have a lot of family in the Chicago area. Um, it's a great city. It's a fun city. They get all four seasons. And so this church really appealed to us. And then a shocking thing happened, which was that both churches decided to move forward with us in the call process, in the interview process at the same time. Um, I misspoke, not the call process, the interview process. And so we went down to Chicago. They were very excited about us as a clergy couple, and we interviewed down there. And then we flew to California where they only wanted to interview me. And this is where the story got funny because Daryl and I interviewed really well together in Chicago. And the church said, you know, they would give us a call in a couple of weeks. They had more people to interview. And then we flew out to California and Daryl was still in interview mode. So we're driving around, we're talking to the PNC, we're having meals with them and folks ask me questions and Daryl responds with wonderful, witty, brilliant answers. <laughs> and after our first day of interviewing here at PCOM, we went back to the hotel. We were at the Fairfield Inn right there off the five. And we had quite an argument <laughs> that culminated in me saying in not so many words, Daryl, you are my arm candy. You are only allowed to speak if you personally are asked a direct question, which will be a pastoral spouse question, not a theological or biblical or ministry related question. They are not interviewing you. They are interviewing me. And he said, I get it. And I'm sorry. And we will do this differently tomorrow. 
So we went to bed both a little grumpy and both a little bruised and both a little sad because we really were hoping for a clergy couple position. I was borderline desperate for more time with my infant son, and Daryl was borderline desperate to get his feet wet in ministry after so long in academia. He just wanted to love people and serve people and tell them the stories of Jesus. By now, this process has gone on long enough that we have an 18-month-old son, um, or 15 months at that point. Lincoln is 15 months old, and he's hanging out with grandma and grandpa back in the Midwest, and we're out here interviewing. And the next morning, the first thing on our docket was breakfast with Jackson and Malika. So we drove over to Jackson and Malika's house and were greeted by their wonderful shaggy golden retriever. And Jackson was just wonderfully relaxed and kind. He had, I remember he had flip-flops on and board shorts and some surf t-shirt. And, you know, we're all dressed up for an interview. Like I'm wearing a cardigan and a floral blouse and like nice dress pants and shoes. And it just immediately set me at ease that, oh, you know, we, we can be a little bit more down to earth here. We can be a little bit more casual. And that that is Jackson. And one of Jackson's great strengths is what you see is what you get. He is not putting on a show. He is that kind. He is that down to earth. And so we sat at Jackson and Malika's table and we ate breakfast and we drank coffee. And Daryl was exactly the arm candy that he had promised me he would be. He only spoke when he was asked direct questions. And I answered some questions about my ministry experience and what I was hoping for and my giftedness and how I'd scored on certain personality tests. And Jackson and I bonded over hockey. And then there was a brief pause in the conversation. And I'm not usually a very impulsive person, but I felt kind of this divine nudge. And I turned to Jackson and I said, are you really not interested in hiring us as a clergy couple? And there was a pause and he said, you know, the the sticking point for us is we just can't afford two salaries. We can't pay both of you. And I said, no, 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 it would be one position. We would just share it. Daryl would be ordained here and you would get the best of both of us. He could finish his PhD. I would have time to be home with my son. And Jackson said, oh, well, I think that that got lost somewhere in translation. We're we're totally interested in that. Let me make a couple calls. And he went outside and he called Steve Yamaguchi and he called folks on the PNC and it started the ball rolling. And all of a sudden the interview changed from me to Daryl and me. And I remember Daryl looking at me across the table with these big eyes, like, you're the one who said not to not to pretend this was a joint interview, but you're the one who brought it up. And that was the moment that everything began to shift. That was the moment that we began realizing that PCOM could be our home. We finished out the interview. One of my big fears, actually, this was February, and we had been in Wisconsin during the worst cold snap they had had in 100 years. It had been 30 degrees below zero for weeks. And we got on this plane to come out and interview in California, and I said, Jesus, I am not going to be able to make an objective decision. I absolutely will not make a good decision. If we land and it is 75 degrees and sunny, I'm going to say yes to this church, even if you're not calling me. So I need you to help me make the right decision. And we landed in February and it was the storm of the century in California. The news reports were all super Doppler 5000, landslide, mudslide, stuff is falling down off the mountain. And every interview we had, everyone kept apologizing for the weather. We're so sorry. The weather is so terrible. And I felt like I should apologize right back because I kind of prayed for nasty weather. We made it to the end of the interview weekend and just felt such peace, such 
such a connection with Jackson, such a connection with the folks on the PNC who we'd met who were so kind and warm. Kirk Steele was on that PNC, Mary Simon, Allison Silverson, Scott Naramore, Nick Serfoli. We just felt so at peace. And we'd met such wonderful people. And Jackson, uh, we'd mentioned that we needed a ride to the airport. We'd been borrowing Anna Simon's car for the whole interview. These people we'd never met gave us their daughter's car for the weekend so that we could do the interview. Um, But we needed to give it back so we didn't have a ride to the airport. And Jackson, middle of his workday, said, oh, I'll take you. No big deal. Drove us to the Santa Ana airport, dropped us off. And as we got out of his car, he was driving his Mini Cooper at that point. As we got out of the Mini Cooper and unloaded our bags, the sun broke through the clouds. And it was like this holy kiss from God, this moment of you made it through the bad weather, you made it through the interview, and this is just a reminder that I see you and that California is beautiful. Don't use that to make your decision, but California is beautiful. We flew home, and a few days later, we got a phone call offering us the pastoral position, the pastoral call to the church in Chicago. We had not yet heard anything from PCOM. And that wasn't because they were slow playing it. They had another person to interview the weekend after us. They were just following the process with the the same thoughtfulness with which we now know they do everything. But we couldn't call them up and say, hey, what are the chances you're going to offer us the position? We just had to wait. But the church in Chicago needed an answer. So Daryl and I spent the night in prayer, and we realized that God was not calling us to the church in Chicago. And even if it meant we would never go to PCOM, that PCOM's answer was no, and thank you for applying, but it's not going to work out, that we couldn't say yes to something that wasn't the right thing for us. And the church we were interviewing at was and is a beautiful church. It's a wonderful church. It would have been a good fit, except for whatever reason, the the answer was, was no. So we waited. And then, and this is one of my favorite parts of the story, we got an email from Mary Simon asking if uh, I could Zoom at four o'clock that day. And I said, absolutely. And I'm thinking, okay, it's a Zoom. That's probably good news. They might just, you know, call if they weren't going to offer us the position. And I started to get all these happy butterflies. And then a few hours later, it's not yet four o'clock. It's about noon in Wisconsin. I get a text from Pastor Jackson. And the text says, well, dot, 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 question mark. And I realize he probably thinks I've already talked to Mary, but I don't want to engage with him on this text because he knows things that I'm probably not supposed to know yet. And so uh, I text him back. I talk, I will talk. I have a call scheduled with Mary Simon at four o'clock. Would you like to pretend this text message never happened? (laughs) (laughs) And then that thing that happens with the text bubble where it comes up and you can see the person's typing and then erasing and then typing and then erasing and then typing and then erasing. And then I finally get a text back that just says, yes, please. (laughs) I was like, okay, I think between Mary wanting to have a call and Jackson texting, well, this is going to be a good conversation. Like, I don't think there's any way he would have texted me that if it hadn't been good news. I just think he got the timing wrong, uh, probably because, you know, time change and things. So Uh, We Zoomed with Mary. She offered us the position, not to one of us, but to both of us. And the rest is history, really. We have been here nine years now, nine years um, as of this week, I believe. And we are so grateful. Two of our babies have been born out here in California. 
We've lived in the house that we're in now for five years and the stability, both for our family, but also for this church of having long-term pastors, of having Jackson at the helm for over 12 years, of the stability that comes from knowing a staff and knowing each other and knowing our strengths and weaknesses. Not one of us is perfect. Not one of us is great at, at everything that's on our plates, but we've learned to bear with one another in love and to lift each other up and to call each other out on things. Like it really is such a tremendous gift. Being able to walk alongside all of you in the highs and the lows and the weddings and the funerals and the baptisms is a gift beyond measure. So that's the story of how Daryl and I came to PCOM. Thanks for coming to Summer Storytime with Pastor Courtney. Uh, I look forward to being back with you in a couple of weeks. Have a fun, fun end of July. Until next time, my friends, take care, be well, and God bless. Thank you.